it's really great to be with you. And uh, um, so, so pleased that technology allows us uh, to do these things. And um, I trust in that God will help us uh, in, in the, the word this morning. So um, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, um, I'll just read some verses there from verse 32 to 37. We're looking at the subject of generosity. The Covenant People is your series title. We're looking at a culture of generosity amongst God's people. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called, also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then we'll just go back to see a similar picture uh, being described in Acts chapter 2 where verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So there's a, a, a picture there of... Um, God's corporate culture in his church, the, the, the culture of generosity. And I just want to look at three sort of aspects of this um, as we go through the passage. First, I want to look at the corporate culture. Then I want to look at our personal culture. And then I want to look at some practical applications to how we might take steps to build a generosity culture amongst us. The first thing to say is when we look at these verses, they're, they're not a political thing. This is not some sort of early communism uh, where nobody you know, had any personal possessions. And, and, um, and also it was not a universal doctrine that we find worked out or practice, universal practice worked out throughout all of the New Testament period. So we often find in later epistles, the writer of the epistles speaking to people who were wealthy and people who were poor. So it's not like to be part of the church, there had to be a sort of a totally level playing field. These seem to be... Uh, verses that were very descriptive of a particular situation they were in, where there was quite a lot of financial need, difficulty, the economy was in kind of turmoil, as it were, at that time. And, and as, it, as it was needed, the church had to operate in a, in a particularly strong way. Uh, and neither does it point to the fact that we all need to now somehow legislate for some sort of communal living as a church. So you have, you know, a rev lawnmower. And it just does the rounds, those of you that have got grass to mow. And there's only one lawnmower and, you know, it's, it doesn't belong to anybody, it's the churches. Neither does it mean that, and, and some people have tried to live that way uh, and criticise it. Some people have tried to live in community living. I don't think I'd last very long, personally. Um, and neither is it about sort of heavy shepherding. That became a little bit of a thing where um, leaders became rather... Uh, um, 
too uh, directive about things in people's lives that are none of their business. I mean, we have, elders, leaders have authority to speak into the things that God, that the Bible gives us authority to speak into, not about what colour you paint your front door or what car you buy or things like that. That's, that's, that's between you and God. That's personal responsibility. So these things have got boundaries that are safe and, 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 um, and, and healthy. We've got to obviously look at how these outwork in a healthy way. Also, it doesn't mean that we should, by reading these verses, it doesn't mean that if you buy something new or someone blesses you in some way and you've, I don't know, got a, a nice new shirt, somehow you, how you need to say, someone says to you, oh, that's a great new shirt, and you feel you have to say, oh, yes, I got it in the sale, or, or somehow justify the fact that you've, you've, you've not bought the best you could have done. You've sort of made yourself uh, some, some sort of imposed poverty just to make yourself look more godly. Well, that, that's not right either. You can say, yes, God bless me with this shirt. It was a, a lot of money, but God blessed me so I could buy it, and it's good. So we have to be careful with these things. Neither was the corporate culture almost like a clique where everyone was all facing inwards, just looking after themselves and not really thinking about anybody else. We can find in, in Galatians 6 where, where, it talks, uh, it, where it talks about um, that kind of thing, and it gives us the attitude we should have. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, uh, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So the service is outwards, everyone in the community. Let us do good to everyone. So the, the community around us, non-Christians around us, people who don't go to church, people who don't know Jesus, people who are not interested in Jesus, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our generosity must start with the household of faith, but it overspills to everyone. It should be something that touches the lives of everyone around us. And what we're doing when we do that is we're demonstrating the heart and the kindness of God. God loves people. He's kind. He blesses the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what the Bible says. So we need to reflect the heart of God and bless everybody as we get opportunity, but especially God's household. So that's the kind of balance. Um, and also we need to say, it says, as we have opportunity, we cannot fix everything. Even Jesus, Jesus said to us, you know, the poor you will always have with you. There is always going to be need around us. And we can uh, get ourselves into a lather trying to fix the world. We cannot fix the world. It's broken. There is only one person who can completely finally fix the world. And when he returns, that's Jesus, he will do so. Until that time, the, the creation is groaning and in bondage to decay. And as fast as we fix one thing, there will be something else that needs fixing. So we need to, we need to understand, let the Lord give us the opportunities that he wants us individually and us corporately to get involved in. Often that can be done best through apostolic families of churches. That was how it was in the New Testament. When there was a need, Macedonia and Jerusalem were hooked up. One had a need, the other had resource. The apostolic fellowship enabled that to happen. It was done relationally and they, they, they met the need. So this is a beautiful picture of God's family doing life together, not just doing meetings, but doing life together. And it's looking at, uh, it's life punctuated by meetings rather than pe meetings punctuated by 
life. And I felt just to say to you, as a church in Revelation, I do feel that um, there's a season coming where, because of the nature of where you're based, sometimes people come and they're part of Revelation for a while, then they, they go another nation or another place, you send them out or they get called to something else. I feel there is a sense of the Revelation family, as it were, where what God is building amongst you as a, as a community doesn't mean you lose when people go. There's, there's threads of belonging and connection and, and, and um, the kind of culture that you've built together. And it may come the point in the future days that those you've sent into different places and others you become aware of may need also to be recipients of your generosity and they may also be able to be generous to you as a base uh, in, in London. Um, just a few scriptures that can help us in terms of teaching into this. So Paul uh, in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, verse uh, 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So we see there that uh, there's this thing of corporate uh, generosity is not under compulsion. It's not something that we should manipulate people to think, oh, dear, I ought to give a bit more. No, that's, that's not how it is. Everyone must decide in their heart, right? So everything I say today is about your personal conscience because our personal consciences, uh, consciences contribute to the collective uh, culture. It isn't an imposed thing. And it's also good to notice there that if we sow generously, we will reap. Um, uh, sorry, if we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. Now, we often tend to sort of criticize the prosperity gospel as we'll give. And, you know, if you invest, we talk about giving as investing and you'll get a return back. We must be careful we don't throw all of that out, like the baby with the bathwater. There is a spiritual principle that if we give and we give generously, it will be given generously back to us. That's a biblical principle. Where it can go wrong is if we give in order to get back or if we think it's some sort of like mechanistic thing. Because sometimes we give and it costs and it hurts and we have lost out for someone else's benefit. And sometimes what we get back comes back years later. So regular... Uh, giving of our tithes and offerings into church life, and uh, we can uh, we don't get an immediate return for that. We, that might come back years later when we see how our life has worked out, how God has met our needs, as it says there, all through life. You know, it's a it's a lifetime thing. And then uh, two Corinthians eight, just in the previous chapter, there uh, says, as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And he's talking there about giving, seeing that you excel in this grace of giving uh, also. So it's something we can apply ourselves to. And um, if I just look at, uh, go back to Acts, and then Acts 20, and verse 33, where it says, Paul is talking about his own ministry. He said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So there's two things there. A culture of generosity doesn't mean that we don't take personal responsibility for being wealth creators, for doing good, the best jobs we can, doing the best things with the gifts that God has given us. God has given us gifts, human ability, so that we can earn money to be able to live, so that we're not a burden to anyone. That, that's a biblical thing. But also, he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's something very, very true about that. Now, this is a very uh, appropriate that, that, that we look at these, chat, these verses today because we are in the middle of this extraordinary pandemic. And I was just looking at some figures um, just before we came on uh, live, and it was saying that 80% of adults are indicating that they're feeling some higher degree of anxiety because of what we're living in. Well, it's hardly surprising. And Money worries, economic worries are going to be top of that, or quite high up on that list. There will be an economic big sort of tsunami that comes because of this uh, pandemic. It will affect the globe in a very significant way. And what we find in Jerusalem here, as we read this particular narrative of Acts, is it was like that there. They had no NHS, they had no welfare state, they had no safety net. Life was cheap. There were huge needs, huge needs. And so they had to create, as it were, their own infrastructure to care for God's people and to let that overspill into the community. And I would suggest that as churches, we've got to really start thinking about the kind of dynamics that they had in Acts, potentially starting to show themselves, even in the West where we've had everything provided for us, we might find ourselves in very, very unusual circumstances that require the church to live more and more like we see in Acts. These verses have often been things we've, well, I can only speak for myself, I've often read them and thought, oh, that sounds tremendous, but we've not really quite dug into it quite as much. It's not because we don't want to do it, but often it's because we're not presented with the need so strongly as they were here, but I think that will change. I think we will find ourselves confronted with need all around us, and we will be forced to not only develop good teaching as we have and good fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, we will be forced by circumstances to think afresh about what a corporate culture of generosity looks like. So what about us personally? You might think, well, that's that's all right. That's good. I'm up to that. But, you know... Um, how do I how do I know what to give? How do how do I know? Uh, how do I how do I feel about things and possessions and money and stuff? How do I, what should my attitude be? Well, I find this little bit of narrative, little story, uh, helpful. So you've heard the story of the pearl of great price, uh, the parable where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a very expensive pearl in a field, and he so wants that pearl that he buys the whole field. He gives everything he's got to buy that field. Well, let me just take you through a figurative story. So the man says, I want this pearl. How much is it? Well, the seller says, it's very expensive. 
But how much, we ask? Well, a very, very large amount. Do you think I could buy it? Well, of course, everyone can buy it. But didn't you say it was very expensive? Yeah, yes, it is very expensive. Well, how much is it then? Everything you have, says the seller. So we make up our minds. All right, I'll buy it, we say. Well, what do you have? He wants to know. Let's, let's write it down. Let's write it down. Well, I have £10,000 in the bank. Good. £10,000. What else? Uh, well, that's all. That's all I have. Well, well, do you have any money in your pocket? Uh, well, yes, I have got something in my pocket. Yeah, let's have a look. Um, yeah, well, how much? Um, well, let's see. Uh, 30, 40, 60, 80, 100, 120 pounds. I've got more than I thought, but 120 pounds. That's fine. Write that down. What else do you have? Well, nothing. That's all. Um, that's all I've got. Where do you live? He's still probing, you see. Well, in my house. Yes, yes, I have a house. Ah, right. Well, my house then. The house too. We'll write that down. So you mean I have to live in my camper van? Oh, you have a camper van, do you? Right, that will go down as well. Let's put that down. So now I'll have to sleep in my car. Oh, you have a car. Well, two actually. Oh, two cars. So both cars become mine. What else have you got? Well, you've already got my money, my house, my camper van, my cars. What more do you want? Why are you alone in the world? Well, no, I have a, I have a wife and children. Ah, right, wife and children, put those down. What else? Well, I've nothing left. I'm left alone now. Suddenly the seller exclaims, Oh, I almost forgot. You yourself too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you too. Then he goes on. Now listen, I will allow you to use these things for the time being. But don't forget that they are mine, just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up, because now I am the owner. Now, the point of that little story is just to illustrate to us that actually everything we think we have is all God's anyway. Even our very next breath is the gracious provision of God. He's given us life and health and everything we've got today, the blessings of today, the daily bread we have, and all the things that we've purchased, bought, planned for, invested in, all the things, and there's nothing wrong with any of them, but they're actually all his because he's lent them to us to use. And when he says, well, actually, I want that one back now, we have to be willing to release it to him and to someone else if God so desires us to lend them our Lord Mother or give them our lawnmower, or whatever. Do you understand? There's a difference between it being in theory and starting to come into practice. So in the last little bit, I just wanted to then look at, well, what are some very practical applications we can begin to make to turn this stream of a generosity culture into, the practic into a, what, what might look like 
the beginnings of a generous culture as a church? Well, the first thing is I think we have to firstly do some work internally with our own hearts. And in 1, 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 7, it says this. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And there's a wonderful little book I'd like to recommend. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by a man called Jeremiah Burroughs. He was a Puritan. I think you can still get the book from Banner of Truth. And uh, it's really worth um, reading that. Now, he gives a little quote about understanding our hearts uh, in a way that I think really helps us to, to learn contentment. He says this, By studying your heart, you will soon come to discover where your discontent lies. When you're discontented, you'll find out the root of any discontent if you study your heart well. Many men and women are discontented, and the truth is they do not know why. They think this and the other and this thing is the cause. But a man or woman who knows their own heart will soon find out where the root of their discontent lies, that it lies in some corruption or disorder of the heart, and that through God's mercy I've now found it out. It's similar to the case of a little child who's very awkward in the house. When a stranger comes in, he doesn't know what the matter is. Perhaps he'll give the child a rattle or a toy or some other thing to kind of quieten it down. But when the mother comes in, she knows the temper and disposition of the child and therefore knows how to calm it. It's just the same here. When we are strangers to our own hearts, we are powerfully discontented and we do not know how to quiet ourselves because we do not know wherein the disquiet lies. But if we are very well versed in our own hearts, when anything happens to unsettle us, we soon find out the cause of it and so quickly become quiet. When a, match, when a man has a watch and understands the use of every wheel and pin, if it goes wrong, he will soon find out the cause of it. But when someone has no skill with a watch, if it goes wrong, he doesn't know what's the matter and therefore cannot mend it. So indeed our hearts are as a watch and there are many wheels and windings and turnings therein. And we should labour to know our hearts well that when they are out of tune, we may know what is the matter. Now, the reason I say that is because if we are constantly crowded with feelings of disquiet, it's difficult to think about giving to others because all our energy goes on thinking about ourselves. Knowing our hearts well helps us to be free to think more about other people than ourselves, which sets us up well to begin to then do more practical things to be generous to other people. So here's a few things. Um, number one, we must give our time, our treasure, and our talents. It's not just about money. Give our time and our talents and our treasure, the three things that we have. We must be generous with those things. It's fun to bless people. It's fun. It's good. It makes us feel good because it is good. Next, our personal finances. I've always tried, me and Sue have always tried through our married life 
to have a kind of a framework for how we do our finances. So we try to think, right, we'll live on 80%, we'll give away 10%, and we'll save 10%. Now, when we were first married, that was a bit crazy because the mortgage is higher and the earnings are low, but we still tithed. We still gave our 10% to God. Tithing isn't something that's enforced in the New Testament, but it is something I think is a good benchmark, is a good place to start. And we just gave our 10% to God month in, month out, even sometimes when we ended up going in the red because of it. We just trusted God that he was going to get us through. And as through life we've become more and more, um, you know, just got used to a, a pattern of living, we now try to give 10%, save 10% and live on 80 So I would say that there's some benchmarks. Next thing, just to try and make yourself feel generous, when you go to a till and it says, would you like to round up this two pence to give two pence to charity? Go on and do it. Just round it up, just to make yourself feel better and generous. Free yourself up. When you go to the supermarket, always buy something for the food bank and put it in the things. When you go, Even if you can only afford a tin of carrots, 23 pence or whatever it is, every time you go to the supermarket, buy something for the food bank. When you do your weekly shop, stick it in the, the trolley. Just helps you get used to giving and giving and giving. Um. One thing I'd like to do, I haven't done it yet, but I keep waiting for the day where I see someone in front of me in the checkout queue and I think I'm going to pay for their groceries. That's on my hit list at the moment. So I'm just waiting till I see the right person. I think I feel God wants me to do that. And I'll say to the checkout person, and I'll, I'll come back to you on this one. I've done it. I'll say to the checkout person, that's covered, right? Let them go. I'll cover it. Wouldn't that be amazing just to sort of do a random act that nobody can understand. Why did you do that for me? I want to show you the kindness of God. That's why. Enjoy your groceries. Are you investing your pensions ethically? Right? That's really important. Ethically. You might think, well, my pension just goes into a pot. Yes, but it might be going into tobacco, armaments, all sorts of things that you don't even know it's being invested in. So with your pension provider, ask, is my pension fund ethical? Where is my money being invested? It's really important. So we've done that. We've made sure all our pensions are ethically fund funding ethical things, things that we'd be happy to invest our money into. Um, next, business people. Now, if you're a business person, you are, if you are a wealth creator, you are going to be vitally important in the next five to ten years coming through this pandemic. If you are a business, God's given you the ability to make money, to start businesses, to employ people. Firstly, please join the Relational Mission Business Link, RM Business Link. We're starting to gather business leaders together to encourage and strengthen business leaders in this coming season. We are going to need loads of people, not just to give aid to people who haven't got any money, but to create jobs. We've got to create jobs. That's not the role of the government. It's the role of the church, people in the church with wealth-creating abilities. If you can equip people to get skills to start businesses, whatever your skill is, help people be wealth creators. It's going to be hugely vital in the coming days. Um, try to think also about um, what, what we do is, uh, as well as our tithes, right, our tithes, we give 10% to our local church. Uh, beyond that, we then like just give offerings. So if there's an offering for relational mission or an offering you might take up as a church for something special, do that. But what we also do is I've got, we've got a little account and every month, I just used to pay £10 a month into that account. And that account is just to give away to anyone. It just builds up, just slowly in the background. 
And if I see someone, if we see someone with a need, that money's there for us to just give to that person. I've recently increased it a little bit because I think there's going to be more need soon. So we just every month, you, you hardly notice it, you hardly miss it. You might think, well, I don't know if I can afford that. Even if you just do a pound a month, just go in a little savings thing every month, just out of your bank. You won't even notice it. It's still in another account. And then if you see someone, I don't know, you might have 20 quid in there and you see someone for whom that 20 quid would make a big difference this week, you've got the money ready to bless them. It's just a good way of, of living. Um, and try to do random things, envelopes with money put through people's doors just to bless them. Cutting someone's grass, assuming they want it cut, not with the church lawnmower, but with your own lawnmower. Randomly blessing people, doing people's shopping. Things that just seem like random acts of kindness. It's a tremendous way to demonstrate God's kindness, which comes to us with no strings attached. There's nothing in it other than just blessing people, making people feel that people, are, people want to bless them. It's great. Um, Come on, more quick things, and then we're done. Uh, some people in the church will have what I call uh, a, a special grace, a, a gift of giving. And in the chapter we read um, in, in Acts, we read about uh, uh, Joseph, didn't we? Who who got who? You know, he's particularly highlighted because he gave a particular. Yeah, Joseph. He he sold a field and he laid the money at the apostles' feet. Now, not everybody had a field to sell. And not everybody who had a field sold it. Joseph had a grace of giving on him. And it was almost like a gift of giving. And some people in the church do have a gift of giving to be able to give over and above and out of the ordinary. And in the same way as if someone's got a prophetic gift, we try to train that prophetic gift. We make space for that prophetic gift. We mustn't be afraid. No, we don't talk about money. There are some people in the church And it would be good for the elders to say, look, if you identify yourself as someone who feels they've got the gift of giving, let us know so that we can help steward your your gift. So it was laid at the apostles' feet. It was given, you know, to the the church leadership to say, right, where can I steward this giving? It's important. Some people in the church who've got a gift of giving are honoured for that gift, not publicly so much, but they're honoured and given space to let that gift develop because it's going to be important. And then lastly, do be generous with your stuff. Lend stuff. Bless people with stuff. Um, now, I have to say over the years being a Christian, not everybody gives it back, full stop, which is a nuisance, because I've lost books and I still don't know where they are. And not everybody gives it back in as good condition as it went. That's annoying. That's irritating as well. So part of the generosity culture is this. Look after people's stuff if they bless you with it. If they give you things you can enjoy. If they lend you their car to drive somewhere, clean it when you give it back. Hoover it out. Be nice to them. Give it back better than they gave it to you. That way, everybody then sees a culture of generosity and doesn't become cynical or sceptical about it, thinking, well, I'm not lending you my lawn, mummy, you're going to ruin it. No, make sure you clean it. Get the grass off it. Make it look better than it was before they gave it to you. So it's about taking responsibility and treating things. uh, Well, I was going to say the way you would treat them. Some people don't treat their stuff very well, which is also bad because God's lent you his stuff to look after. So look after what God gives you and make sure when other people lend it to you, you give it back 
and you look after it. Okay, so there's some practical things. I hope that's been helpful, and I trust that we will see Revelation increasingly becoming a church full of amazing generosity, just like we see in the book of Acts.